Professor Muralatos, thank you for joining us today on Austin Hellenic Radio. To begin, tell us about your background in a road that led you from Greece to becoming a professor here at the University of Texas. Michael, well, first of all, thank you very much uh, for inviting me. It's uh, a pleasure and an honor. I believe this is the first time in my years in Texas where I have been interviewed by a program specifically on uh, Hellenic contacts and uh, so, uh, congratulations that uh, this program has got started and uh, many years of successful broadcasting. Thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm in a way a beneficiary of what is the most wonderful thing about uh, American education. Not only was I lucky to get a scholarship to come to study at the university level in the U.S., to come from Greece to study at the U.S., but also I was given a chance to take advantage of what's most wonderful about the American college experience, the undergraduate college experience, which is what I call the romantic exploration, when one has a chance to consider alternatives and find oneself. Uh, my stronger interests as a teenager were in music, in philosophy, and also in the theater. But naturally, my family said, no way, you don't want to do any of these things, there is no future. What you want to do is to be a doctor. So, uh, all right, okay, I will be a doctor, that's what the family says. And I won uh, the scholarship that I want to come to the U.S. with the... Uh, perspective uh, that I was going to major in biochemistry, which I was told by my teachers in Athens that this would be a good major if I want to go on to graduate school, I mean to um, medical school, because I had understood already in Greece that there's no way to go to medicine straight, as it's done in other parts of the world, but you have to do a pre-medical subject. Well, um, because I liked philosophy, I chose philosophy as my major, along with my pre-medical courses. But then something quite special happened in 1957. Sputnik, the Sputnik, the Russian, the Soviet uh, satellite, started buzzing the Earth, and the country went into this almost panic. What is it that we're doing wrong, that the Russians got ahead of us? And uh, Yale's president at the time was very, very... Uh, resourceful and he thought he would exploit this, he went to the Carnegie Endowment and said, look, our best students do not go on to graduate school. They go to law school, they go to medical school, they go to other professional schools, they go to work on Wall Street. We need to encourage people to pursue academic careers. So I was offered this conversion fellowship to study philosophy, just to see whether he might like it. Well, of course, I did like it. <laughs> and I stayed with it. But still, I, I avoided ancient Greek philosophy because I, I had this, this burden to carry from home. You go to America, you're going to study something serious. You're not going to study philosophy. We, we know philosophy here in Greece. Why do you want to, why you wouldn't want to study that, uh, any more than you want to study music? Uh, so it was only gradually, almost when writing my dissertation, that I got interested in ancient philosophy. And then I won a fellowship as a postdoctoral at the University of Wisconsin. And then I started concentrating in ancient Greek philosophy. At a certain point that I was approached by people at the University of Texas, I came here for an interview, and evidently they liked what uh, they heard from me, and I was hired. It was way back in 1965. You recently retired from your professorship after 40 years at UT and nearly 50 years of full-time service at the university level. Tell us about your work in recent academic years and some achievements that are most meaningful for you. 
Here I regularly taught, and maybe some some future date, uh, perhaps again as a sort of a post-retirement appointment, I might like again to teach courses in ancient philosophy, both at the undergraduate level and the graduate level. I have supervised a number of dissertations and uh, close to uh, 21, 22, something like that. More recently, uh, several of them um, got prizes. Uh, two received the UT Commencement Award for Outstanding Doctoral Dissertation. One received an honorable mention. I'm happy to tell you that I once uh, taught a class in modern Greek. I was recruited on an emergency. The regular professor who taught the class in modern Greek died most unexpectedly. So the department was in some despair about how to cover a class that was already in the books. And I came along and said, I can do it. So I enjoyed it. And I did it for two years. And well, well, what other things I, I do as a professor here? I mean, I organize, I organize conferences in ancient Greek philosophy. We have something called the Ancient Philosophy Workshop that mostly meets here. But sometimes we take it to other campuses uh, to both to project the program in ancient philosophy at other places, but also to give a chance to other uh, programs at other universities to develop something comparable to the very successful program in ancient philosophy we had here. So in 2009, uh, we held it in the Universidad Nacional Autónoma de México in Mexico City. The year after that, we held it here. Uh, this, this very year, last uh, March, we went to Washington University in St. Louis, and uh, I've been involved in organizing this, and I probably will be similarly involved in organizing future workshops. You've been published extensively, having written books, academic articles, encyclopedia articles, and other publications in a number of different languages. Tell us about some of your published work. Books we may need to qualify. I published uh, one book, originally appeared in 1970 under my name. This is a book on the Greek philosopher Parmenides of Elia in southern Italy. That book... Uh, was later translated in Greek and it has been published in a modern Greek translation and it also it was reissued in a second edition in 2008. I have put together two collections of articles, one on ancient philosophy generally, another one more narrowly on um, early Greek philosophy, the pre-Socratics, and uh, the latter has also been translated in Greek and published in Greeks in Greece. The topics on which I work are early Greek philosophy, that is the philosophers before Socrates, Plato, of course, but on Plato I tend to concentrate on topics in cosmology, science, and Plato's conception of astronomy, a little bit of Aristotle, but mostly uh, the pre-Socratics. My most recent work has been on Xenophanes of Colophon, Colophon being one of the Greek city-states on what today is Turkey, Asia Minor, but actually in his career he was active in the Greek West, uh, the southern Italy and Sicily, and because of this he came to be associated in antiquity with uh, the philosopher Parmenides. But I'm also especially proud of work that I've done outside both philosophy and classics in what might be called the interface between philosophy and linguistics, as this has some importance for understanding, articulating the structure of Greek grammar, and especially modern Greek grammar. That uh, I'm referring to uh, work that goes by the title Events, Processes, and States that has got quite a few notices in the literature, both of philosophy and linguistics. 
In addition to your academic career here in the United States, you have also maintained a close association with academic institutions overseas, and in Greece in particular, including an association with the Academy of Athens and honorary degrees that you've received and also visiting professorships that you've done. Tell us about your experiences going back to Greece to teach and also to be recognized for your work. Well, of course, all this is very, very moving. Every one of these events that you mentioned, the ceremonies uh, both at the University of Athens in uh, 1994 when I received an honorary doctorate. That was the first such experience and was especially moving because of this. But in some ways, even more important was my being selected and being inducted as a corresponding member of the Academy of Athens. And that happened in 2002, I believe. But uh, most meaningful of all was my teaching as a visiting professor at the University of Crete. Because even though English has been the language in which I've done philosophy over 50 years, really, if I count my years of study. Uh, nonetheless, there is just a great pleasure in uh, using the Greek language in uh, instruction. I had to do some retooling there because, of course, the vocabulary has changed enormously in even uh, in, uh, in the decades in which I was not in Greece. After after high school and then my returning for the first time to teach in 1998, but that was also part of the challenge and part of the uh, pleasure. And because of that experience, I'm lucky to now have contact not only with students from UT Austin, who are graduates of our program, but also a number of students from uh, the University of Crete. Recently, you gave a series of lectures in Italy at the site of an ancient Greek and Roman city. Share with us some details about your lectures as well as your experience visiting this historic region. Ah, you're referring to the city of Elea. That's the most common name of the city in Greek. Though, of course, on the coins, the ancient coins of the city, you see the older name of it, which is Uyele, uh, with the digama, which sounds like the w sound in, in ancient Greek. But the Athenians, who uh, had difficulty pronouncing that particular dialect, they dropped the, the digama, they dropped the w sound, so it became Elea for them. And that's the name by which it's known most commonly. Of course, when the Romans came in, they heard the locals speaking about Uyele, uh, and they heard it as Uelia, and they renamed the place Uelia, and uh, then later there's also the pronunciation Velia, and that name survived through all the Roman period. Eventually, uh, the place declined. I think there were problems of uh, malaria in uh, that part of Italy. So the ancient site was forgotten. In medieval times, the inhabitants moved up on higher parts, on a hill or a small mountain, and they established a village by the name of Ashea, which is right over where the ancient Greek city was. And Ashea is the name that prevailed over centuries until in the 1960s, Italian archaeologists decided to excavate the area of the ancient Greek city, and they found wonderful uh, things. They found a gate, they found an ancient theater. They found an ancient uh, medical school. They even found an inscription with the name of my philosophical hero Parmenides. And because of this, the Italians 
realized that they had something very precious and they wanted to project it both to themselves and to their children and to the Italian public but to the world generally. So eventually a center for the promotion of studies in ancient Greek philosophy was established there, the Alario Foundation, and the Alario Foundation sponsored annual lectures on themes of the philosophers of Elia. I was the fourth in the series. I gave the series of lectures in 2010. My lectures was on Xenophanes of Colophon, whom I mentioned to you earlier, precisely inasmuch as that particular philosopher was associated with the philosophers of, of Elia in antiquity. And then a year later, the city of Asea, or they also now use also the, uh, the Greek and Roman names, Elea Velia Asea, they decided to uh, honor me by making me honorary citizen of the city of Elea Velia Asea. And that was a delightful ceremony that was held at the actual archaeological site, in the site of the ancient temple of Asclepius, at the archaeological site there. Is it true that the residents of some regions in southern Italy hold great reverence toward their ancient Greek ancestors and in some cases continue to speak a dialect of ancient Greek? Absolutely. The bit about the dialect of ancient Greek we may need to qualify, but uh, it's certainly true that southern Italy and Sicily, which in ancient times was just all along the coast, uh, you had Greek city-states. That area was so Greek in antiquity that the Romans themselves referred to it as Magna Graecia, Greater Greece. Now, the speaking of the Greek language, that is the ancient form of the Greek language, at some point disappeared in the Middle Ages. Interestingly, however, there is one place where a form of Greek survives to this day. This is in what on the map would be the uh, hill of the Italian boot, if you think of Italy as a, as a boot. So on the hill of the boot, um, south of Brindisi, where you take the ferry to go from Italy to uh, Patras to go to Greece, in that area, which is known in Italy as Grecia Salentina, Greece of the Salentina, uh, of the Salento area, they do still speak a dialect which the locals call Grico. And it's really quite amazing. I was at a conference in Florida organized by a Greek-American organization, and uh, we had a Skype connection with a community in Salentina, and you could almost be able to understand them. I mean, it's, uh, just as, as the word for Greek has become Grico, there are other uh, words that sound a little bit strange, a little bit funny, but nonetheless, they're perfectly recognizable. For example, the name of the village from with whom we were speaking on Skype is called Calimera. Calimera. <laughs> Calimera right? Mussolini tried to suppress Grico, but nowadays uh, the Italian Republic is very keen about preserving that part of their Greek heritage. So once again, there is not only do they allow the use of Grico, but there are actually programs in schools to promote the learning of Grico by the uh, younger citizens of Grecia Salentina. Now, whether that's a survival from ancient Greek is a little bit controversial and uncertain. It does look as though there were people from Greece in Byzantine times that moved into that part of Italy. So this may not be Greek from the days of Magna Graecia, but it's certainly Greek from uh, the days of the Byzantine Empire. 
Let's move now to the study of Greek and the classics more broadly here at home. The University of Texas recently eliminated the undergraduate major in ancient Greek. What prompted this decision and how does this affect the university's offerings in Greek? Yeah, I'm very glad you presented it accurately. I mean, what was eliminated was not a program in Greek studies generally, but specifically the undergraduate major that concentrates uniquely and specially on the study of the ancient Greek language and literature. What prompted this, of course, is something which I consider unfortunate, but it's going on all over the country. Language departments seem to be the target for cuts, and whenever uh, regions, authorities, uh, coordinating boards, as this was true in our case, find a major that doesn't have numbers, and this particular major never had numbers, nor is it particularly right that it should have large numbers, the study of Greek as a special subject concentrating in language and literature is better reserved for the graduate level. But in any event, it would have been nice to have the option for uh, UT undergraduates who want to start early and you want to do it that way. Why not? But in its wisdom, the Texas Coordinating Board found this as a target of opportunity because the number of majors who concentrated specifically on Greek language and literature was small, and uh, they ordered us uh, to discontinue it. That doesn't mean, of course, that the study of Greek civilization, classics, Greek history, Greek art, Greek philosophy, archaeology is in any way curtailed, let alone discontinued. That will continue, and certainly the larger number of majors majors in the Department of Classics are in subjects like classical civilization. That combines Greek and Latin as part of their study, not narrowly Greek. So it's not as terrible as it's been presented in the Daily Texan, though I wish they really did not make that particular move, which is not going to make that much difference in UT's budget after all. The Classics Department in the university more broadly does offer a number of programs of Hellenic interest, if I'm not mistaken, including the Center for Aegean Scripts, the summer intensive courses in ancient Greek, continued excavations that are taking place with professors from this department at sites of ancient Greek cities, and also the Joint Philosophy Classics graduate program in ancient philosophy. Tell us more about some of these programs. Well, you're very good to have mentioned several of them. Uh, in some ways, your better source for this would be Professor Stephen White, the chair of the Classics Department, and also visiting the Classics site. The website uh, would give you lots of information about that. I, I of course, am inclined to tout the program with which I'm myself associated, the Joint Classics Philosophy Graduate Program in Ancient Philosophy. It's it's been a great success. We're often ranked as among the three, four best such programs in the country, in North America, and sometimes some people have even said in the English-speaking world. And we've done very well with placement. That's something that I'm especially happy about, and I would be happy to brag about it. But there are lots of things we can brag about. You mentioned the archaeological excavation. Something very recent is the wonderful work that is being done in the department digitizing the work of archaeologists. So not only do we bring things out from excavation, but we can have an exact record of the process of discovery, which gives us the context, makes it possible for us to understand exactly where things were and how they, they function. With these sort of principles at the archaeological sites you mentioned, one in Metaponto, in that area of Italy that we're talking about, uh, Magna Graecia, and the other one on the shore of the Black Sea, 
in what today is Ukraine, the Greek city is Hersonisos, the peninsula as the ancients called it. Something else uh, was in the news a few months back. One of the members of our department, uh, Professor Shelmerdine, uh, who works on uh, Bronze Age archaeology, that is the archaeology of the second millennium BC, is associated with the identification, discovery and identification of what is arguably the earliest piece of linear B script found in a context not in a Mycenaean palace or in a Cretan palace, but rather outside that context. It shows something about how early that particular script was available even outside the context of royal establishment. Now, in addition to these academic programs, the university also features an interesting collection of Greek vases and other artifacts that many of our listeners may not be familiar with. Share with us some details about this collection and where we can find it on campus. Yes, it used to be very easy to find before the Blanton Museum was created. While the Blanton Museum was being organized, this particular collection was housed under what today is the Harry Ransom Center in the HRC building at the corner of Guadalupe and uh, 21st Street. So you could see there the wonderful collection of plaster casts of, of Greek sculpture including reproductions of the uh, sculpture of the Parthenon, and also a magnificent collection of Greek vases that were acquired in the uh, 80s from the initiative of the late Professor David Francis. Those now are at the Blanton, but because the Blanton has so many exhibitions and so many things, these are not always shown together as they were shown when they were housed at the HRC. But they are there. I think the vases are all there on the second floor and on exhibit. And the sculpture is exhibited partly and periodically. Presumably in the future there will be other pieces from the collection. And more recently they have also found a home in the Star Collection on studies of the human body associated uh, with a program in physical education. I think that's um, in the complex of the stadium. But uh, apropos Greek vases, something that many people in the Greek community may not know, and I urge them to discover it, San Antonio has a fabulous collection of Greek vases in the San Antonio Museum of Art. If you go to San Antonio, make a point of going to Sama. Uh, it's an old brewery building that has been magnificently remodeled as a museum. And there you see one of the best collections of Greek vases found anywhere in this country. There was a time where an education in the classics was considered the staple of a college education, but it seems that programs in the classics in Greek and Latin have been on the decline in uh, the past few decades. What do you believe accounts for this decline, and what do you believe is the value of an education in these fields in the present day? Well, yes, uh, true classics uh, departments, along with other language and literature departments, are nowadays uh, targets for cuts. But unless we give up on the whole idea of undergraduate ed education that is centered on the arts and sciences, and in particular the liberal arts and the, com the humanities, which I do fear is possible in the current climate, the Greek and Latin classics 
probably will remain a big component in, in undergraduate education. You see, it, they're covered not only by departments of classics or by philosophy in courses on the history of ancient Greek philosophy, but they're also covered in classes in literature, history, comparative literature, political science, government, religion, humanities. Something that I once pointed out when I spoke to the Greek community, Greek-American community in Dallas, and I think also when I spoke in Houston, something that surprised the Greek-American community is that Plato's Republic, a translation of Plato's Republic, is one of the best sellers at the undergraduate level. That is, so many classes use Plato's Republic that uh, if you look at what books sell in large numbers in any one year for courses in American colleges, Plato's Republic is way up there at the top. I wish that were also true in Greece. I know that it is not, unfortunately, but it's certainly true here. So I worry about it, but I think these things tend to be cyclical. We seem to be in a bit of an ugly mood of emphasizing professionalism in a very narrow sense, but Sputnik or some Sputnik may again come around <laughs> and uh, people will realize that we need to emphasize not only the practical things, but also the more theoretical things. Dr. Mudarletos, it was an honor having you with us today. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us and congratulations on uh, such a distinguished well, career. Thank you very much for your hospitality and thank you very much for this discussion, which I enjoyed very much. Thank you.